Welcome to the Jason Tim podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Monday to come hang out for a little bit. I'm going to just be doing a real short show this morning. Um, I wanted to make a couple of announcements for little plans that I have for the show moving forward. And then uh, I wanted to give my quick thoughts on that Lakers Miami game uh, from a couple nights ago because I thought it was really interesting. And it uh, explains some of the things that we should be looking for with that team in the next couple of weeks. And then I wanted to quick give my thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets after another really impressive last. Uh, but to start with the show announcement, so, you know, I really like building some sort of consistency with the kind of people that I do the show with. And, um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed working with Tommy, uh, doing that kind of all around the NBA podcast that I've been doing. And uh, I've really enjoyed uh, doing a Lakers specific podcast later in the week. And I was talking with Raj. Uh, we had him on on Friday, if you remember. I was talking with Raj after the show the other day, and he expressed an interest in trying to start something weekly. And so him and I are going to give that a try. So ideally, the way it'll work is early in the week, I'll do something with Tommy that's kind of based on the entire NBA. And then later in the week, I'll do something with Raj that's very Lakers specific. That's not to say we won't talk about other stuff, but that's kind of the, the idea. Um, however, I believe how uh, kind of strange it is to introduce the podcast as you know a podcast with my name when i'm doing it regularly with a guest uh you know on a weekly basis so what i'd like to do is uh, is keep like a thread that is the the jason tim podcast thread that you guys can subscribe to that'll have all the shows that i do but at the same time i'll have different show names for those specific podcasts so when i'm on i'll have this show some ideas, names for guys. Let me know. Send me something on Twitter. Um, uh, do something to let me know. Um, I kind of like the idea of doing State of the Lakers for the Raj one on Friday. But if you guys have any other ideas, I'm all ears. But that way, at least I can introduce those podcasts with <laughs> a little less awkward uh, uh, intro than you know. Here's me, but here's the show starring two of us. So I'd like to uh, to get that switched up. But I'm very excited. I'm excited to do something weekly with Raj. He's super smart. He watches more film than just about any of us. He's one of the few guys that out there that has time to actually go out and, and watch the tape uh, over and over again and get a good feel for things. And um, and he's got a really good feel for for Laker Nation and what they want to hear on a weekly basis. So I'm looking forward, uh, forward to that. And I really appreciate your guys' support. It's been really fun to see how this has grown over the last few months uh, we're just about to crest over uh, 5,000 podcast downloads. And then that's in addition to uh, many tens of thousands of, of live viewers as well. I know it's small and we're just getting started, but, you know, I'm having a ton of fun with it. And I really appreciate you guys' support. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> otherwise, I would just be talking into, into empty space. Um, but let's get started. So I want to uh, I'm really interested in this in this Laker Miami Heat game the other night because, you know, the there is the obvious fact that there's no point in over-evaluating what's happening with the Lakers right now as it pertains to their playoff prospects because of the obvious fact that Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder will be back. However, there is the other aspect of this that has to do with the standings, having to do with the fact that right now the Western Conference is very deep. There's home court advantage at stake. There's a bunch of different things, especially considering I expect fans to be available for, uh, for the playoffs. And so because of that, these wins matter. And, you know, every, every uh, uh, little inch of ground you can gain or lose in a, in a moment like this 
could affect you down the line. If you have to play the Clippers in the second round, for instance, if you have to play four road games against Utah, for instance, those are the kinds of things that matter right now, regardless of what's happening as far as the team might look on the court later in the season. And so, you know, every team has had some sort of, of issue with health at some point in the season, whether it's through COVID or whether it's through injuries. And the Lakers got lucky for a long time. And, you know, it could have been a number of different things. Maybe they were really safe with, uh, with going out in public or, or maybe, you know, it's strictly a matter of luck. But for whatever reason, up to this point, they've been mostly fine. And now Dennis is out for at least the next two games. And Anthony Davis is out for at least probably the next, what, three weeks or so. Uh, so you have to find a way to beat Washington tonight. And you have to find a way to try to beat Utah tonight without Dennis. And then you have to try to find a way to win for a couple weeks after that without AD, but with Dennis. And so even though it may not matter as far as how that team dictates specific matchups in the playoffs, it's still important right now for the standings. And so that, that's what's fascinating to me. And, you know, the Lakers have struggled so far without Dennis. They've lost to Brooklyn and they've lost to Miami. And a big part of that has to do with the fact that the Lakers aren't making shots. Uh, But at the end of the day, there is no better option for trying to win these games than to just trust what you've been doing, which is to defend and to continue to have LeBron generate as many wide open shots as he can. And hopefully you just start knocking them down. I talked about in the pod with Raj the other day that this reminds me a lot of the seeding games in the bubble and this idea that, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they just went amazingly cold in those seeding games. But they snapped out of it, and they were able to beat all of the teams. There's all this concern in the bubble, like, hey, what happens when they just start doubling Anthony Davis and LeBron and start making these role players make shots? That was the same concern last year that it is this year. And last year, they made the shots. And these are the same guys, if not even a little bit better players in that regard, to make shots this season. And so I, I remain confident that they'll eventually snap out of it on the larger scale. But it was interesting in that Miami game because – you know, there was a lot of concern about LeBron's decision-making and the idea that he kept, you know, passing the ball as the game progressed. But if you watch the game, essentially what was happening was every single time there was any sort of action in the post or out of pick and roll, they were doubling LeBron. Like hard doubling off of the screen and leaving the screener as he slipped or as he popped to the three-point line. And over the course of the game, you could tell LeBron made a conscious decision. I'm not going to force shots over this double. I'm going to pass the ball to this guy popping or or rolling to the basket. And I just trust that if we play four on three, we're going to get enough open shots to win the game. And for whatever reason, they're still in this slump and they weren't able to make shots. And it led to them, you know, falling apart and once again, failing to score a hundred points, once again, looking completely inept offensively and once again, losing, but there really isn't a better option. And, you know, if you, I I tweeted about this the other day, If you had to nitpick, you could tell LeBron, like, one of the easiest ways to avoid the the double team is to not call for a screen or to stay out of the post. But if I'm LeBron, I'm thinking, you know, how is our offense going to look if I just start relentlessly attacking a Jimmy Butler or an Andre Iguodala in isolation? Because if you attack in isolation, they're less likely to double because it's much harder to double in the open floor because it puts your defense in much more precarious position. But LeBron is telling you he doesn't want to just relentlessly isolate Jimmy Butler or relentlessly isolate Andre Iguodala because he doesn't like the way that that would cause the offense to flow. You know, and and this is one of the biggest things that I've been critical of of some of the people in Lakers Twitter 
who have been talking about the types of actions that the Lakers are running, right? Because the other alternative would be start to run more screening actions around the floor, start to do something that's a little bit more motion, uh, motion-based uh, in the half court. But the problem is the Laker personnel is not really great for that. Like Kyle Kuzma is a, is a decent player running off of screens and shooting. That's, that's one option. And, you know, uh, uh, but like, if you look like Wesley Matthews is, is not a very good player coming off of pin downs and shooting catch and shoots off the move. You know, that's not his, that's not his game. That's not Alex Caruso's game. You know, that's not Montrez Harrell's game. That's not any of these guys game. If you look at the personnel that they have, they've got a bunch of really good defensive guards that can work in catch and shoot situations but they're not great off the ball scores. You know, they they they, have, they all have little niche niche abilities. Like Caruso can cut to the basket pretty well. You know, uh, Montrez Harrell is good attacking mismatches in the post. You know, uh, even with Kyle Kuzma and coming off the of screens, he's kind of streaky. He's not necessarily a super consistent shooter running off the of screens. So it's one of those things where I, I actually, if you look at what they were doing against Miami, understanding that Miami was doubling LeBron. If he just ran these simple actions, giving it to the to the to the to the uh, cutter or the, the excuse me the screener and letting them play four on three, they were getting open shots and, and they were basically just saying we trust that over time this is going to break open. Over time, kind of like what happened in the bubble, they're going to start making shots and all of a sudden everything's going to change. But again, for for the playoffs, this is not an issue that they have to be concerned with. You can't double LeBron James in the half court and let Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder play four on three. You're going to get killed if you do that. This is something specifically that teams can do to this specific Laker roster as a result of the injuries and, and, and the, the COVID missing time for, for Dennis Schroeder. It's specifically to this situation. And as far as how to survive the next two games, how do you try to beat Washington? How do you try to beat Utah? I think you keep doing the same thing. You defend like crazy, and the Lakers defended extremely well in the second half against Miami. And then in the on the offensive end, you continue to just let LeBron attract as much attention as possible, and you just count on the fact that the Liz is going to come off the basket, they're going to start making shots, and then fine. And then when Dennis comes back, everything will open back up again. If you guys remember the Minnesota game, and I know they're the wor- team with the worst record in the league, but they have Carl Anthony Towns now. It's, they're not as bad as it shows in the standings. That team, uh, the Laker offense got a little bit more free-flowing. Dennis Schroeder got his rhythm back. LeBron had, played a really good game as well. They were making shots. They were up over 40% from three for that game. Everything's going to be fine as soon as Dennis comes back. You just have to try to find a way to win in these next two games. And it's doable just by doing the same thing they're doing. And don't get overly concerned with how this might project to how they'll play in the playoffs it's just not something to worry about so the last thing i'm gonna talk about today like i said this is gonna be a short one uh last thing i want to talk today uh, talk about today is brooklyn so there's a lot uh, brooklyn looks great i mean there's no point in beating around the bush but i think people are kind of a lot of people who are pro brooklyn are kind of getting lost in in the chaos that's surrounded all the brooklyn pessimism because as is usually the case when criticism starts flying around there's like the really loud people that are saying nonsensical stuff. And then there's like the rational people that are just like, well, this is a legitimate concern that we should probably keep an eye on. And that was the way the Brooklyn Nets uh, trade went with, with, uh, with James Harden. The James Harden trade happens. 
you know, there's all these crazy people in the woodwork going, they're not going to be able to defend their garbage. Like this team isn't going to, you know, they just lost to Cleveland. Like this team's not going to be able to win, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, obviously those people were crazy, but beneath all of that, there was, hey, you lost Jared Allen. DeAndre Jordan looks a little bit washed this season in specific matchups. Not having a legitimate center could be a problem. You know, okay, like the, uh, um, uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden have a bit of a history of being inconsistent with their defensive effort. And I was one of those people who was just strictly saying, like, I think they're really good. I'm a little bit worried about how they might be able to guard Joel Embiid in a really physical Philadelphia defense that's going to make them work over seven games uh, in a way that might wear them down. And then I said the same thing about the Lakers. A guy like Montrez Harrell and Anthony Davis is going to present a big-time mismatch problem from that Brooklyn Nets offense, not to mention LeBron. And so all I said was, great, they're going to have an unprecedented good offense. However, let's take a look at uh, how this might work in specific playoff matchups. We talk all the time on this show about how specific playoff matchups can get anybody beat. The conversation, or the, the example I use all the time is the 2009 Cavs. The 2009 Cavs were one of the be- were the best team in the regular season that year. LeBron was nearing the top of his game, but there was a specific matchup problem. If you watch, Dwight Howard averaged over 30 points a game in that series, had 40 in game six because he was going against Adrianus Ogalskis and Anderson Vergeau. And then suddenly he gets up against Andrew, Biden, uh, Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol, and he's way less effective. And it and they can't take advantage of that specific mismatch. And all of a sudden, the Lakers are a much better team. And they make the Magic look like a flawed basketball team. That's the way these matchups work. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a matter of, you know, who has more talent. Because I would argue the 2009 Cavs had more talent. But it was a specific matchup that got them beat. Not just Dwight Howard, but the, the really big guards in, in Turkoglu and Richard Lewis for the Magic and the problems they presented for Mo Williams and Delonte West. That's the same thing that we're talking about in the uh, the offensive end in specific matchups. Like, yeah, the Lakers are going to have trouble guarding uh, uh, Kyrie Irving. The Lakers are going to have trouble guarding James Harden. They're going to have trouble guarding Kevin Durant. But at the end of the day, there is a huge front court mismatch in the sense that guys like Anthony Davis and Montrezl Harrell, guys like uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to be almost unguardable for Brooklyn in the paint. And I'll remind you in that 2009 Eastern Conference Finals, LeBron averaged like 38-9-9, and and it wasn't enough. So this idea that you know, uh, uh, that Kyrie Irving and, and, and Kevin Durant and James Harden can put up monster numbers and it's just an automatic trump card isn't necessarily the case. A specific playoff matchup, they have a, a, a shortcoming in the front court that two teams, I think, can exploit. I was never worried about the Clippers in a Brooklyn Nets matchup. I talked often, if you guys remember, about the fact that I think uh, Clippers play into these guys' hands a lot of the times, especially switching defenses, because they don't really, uh, they kind of uh, uh, degenerate from their normal offense into really, really heavy isolation stuff uh, uh, with Paul George and Kawhi, and that plays right into Brooklyn's hands unless you're doing it at the rim. That's the key difference. 
you know, it's not it's not a question of whether or not Paul George can score on the perimeter against some Brooklyn Nets guard. It's the fact that in a playoff series, that sort of repetitive uh, isolation can get you beat. However, if you're Anthony Davis, it's at the rim. If you're Joel Embiid, it's at the rim and at the free throw line. Those are the kinds of things that are much more consistent and reliable in a playoff series. And, you know, so um, uh, one of the things, too, that, 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 that I think is interesting is the, is the way that Brooklyn's switching defense can cause specific, you know, anomalies in a regular season. So uh, there's a reason why uh, it's really rare to see a team use a switching defense. It's essentially like um, uh, if you can run more traditional defensive actions with more traditional defensive talent, like a, a good big who can guard in space and a good big who can protect the rim and, and guards who can defend the point of attack and things like that. That's a proven method of defense. And we see that around the league. Look at the Lakers. It's a great example. However, teams like the 2018 Rockets, teams like this team, I don't think it's a coincidence that both Mike D'Antoni teams, they kind of have to rely on a little bit of a gimmick because they don't have necessarily you know, uh, uh, that, that type of defensive talent, you know, specifically with this Brooklyn Nets team, that 2018 Rockets team did have a, a decent amount of, of defensive talent. But the idea there is, is that Brooklyn is telling you, we can't run traditional defense. We can't have DeAndre Jordan just guarding and pick and roll all day long. You know, we can't have uh, 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 guys like uh, Kyrie Irving and James Harden who famously just die on screens for their entire career. We can't have those guys chasing guys off of pin downs and chasing guys off of other screening actions because they're just going to get beat. That's not, it doesn't fit into what their defensive skill set is. So they have to switch everything. And there's, and like I said, it's, it's, it's a flawed defensive scheme in the sense that it can be exploited when you play them seven times in a row. But when you're playing against 29 other NBA teams and night in and night out, you're seeing more traditional defensive schemes. And then finally on a random Tuesday night, here comes the Brooklyn Nets and they're switching everything. It throws you off and, and, and you struggle to handle it. All of the best defense in the league are more traditional defensive actions. This team is a random wrinkle that, that, that these teams are running into on a random Tuesday, on a random Thursday, on a random Saturday, and they're struggling to deal with it in a small sample size. If you are running a switching defense with Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Joe Harris on the floor – Chances are it's not going to work as well as seven-game series when there's big-time mismatches on the floor and, and a team kind of figures out over the first couple games how to consistently attack it. You know, and at that point in a playoff series, game two, game three, whatever it is, where they figure out, oh, crap, Kyrie Irving can't keep Ben Simmons from the rim, or, oh, crap, you know, Jeff Green can't keep LeBron from the rim, or they can't keep Anthony Davis out of the, uh, off the, uh, uh, out of the paint, or they can't defend Joel Embiid one-on-one, all of a sudden they're going to have to start doubling. And when they do, they'll be in rotation. And that's a team that doesn't defend well in rotation. They lose guys all the time. They're not on a string. They don't communicate super well. So in a playoff series, that is a defense that teams will be able to exploit to a greater extent then the Clippers, after playing a bunch of traditional defenses and then randomly running into them on a Sunday night and not really adjusting in time to really figure it out. And so I, 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 I still think they're a really good team. Never really doubted them from that respect. I just was concerned about very specific matchups between Philly and the Lakers. They, they have specific personnel that are going to cause major problems for that team in a seven-gamer. And I think that that's okay to admit. And I'm not sure that we'll get to really see an example of how that might work out. 
um, until later in the season and hopefully health permits. Um, because in this season, it just seemed, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about the quality of basketball this season. And in my opinion, one of the big reasons why the quality has been down is on any given and, and so you can't get a feel for how good the teams are. And you can't get a, you can't get a feel for what that matchup might look like when, you know, like even last night's game between Brooklyn and the Clippers, it's like you don't think Kevin Durant's going to change that equation a little bit in some way. Uh, so it, it's, it's just hard to get a feel for any of these games. But, you know, you just, you just, just try to think about it on a, almost a possession-by-possession possession basis because as those series progress, as you get to game four, as you get to game five, as you get to game six – it's so like both teams know each other extremely well. They know all of their actions. You, you can't run an offense to get a shot. It's all about these specific matchups. And as many matchup problems that Brooklyn presents for the other team, the other team, especially in the case of the elite contenders, is going to present just as many matchup problems for Brooklyn on the other end of the floor. And at that point, it's just a matter of which matchup gets exploited, exploited to a greater extent. Um, that's all I have for today. I, uh, um, I have Tommy coming on again early this week and Raj later in the week. Like I said in the beginning, if any of you guys have suggestions uh, for changing the names of those shows, uh, even though they'll stay in the same thread, uh, you can either send it to me on Twitter or, uh, or send it to me in, in the comments. I'm also planning on uh, adding my email to the, to the Twitter page anyway, just so I can use it for like mailbag stuff later on. Um, uh, but as always, I appreciate all your guys' support. This will be up shortly on the podcast feed. Um, everybody have a good rest of your week. Hope it's productive. Hope you have a good time. Hope everybody's safe. And I will talk to you in a couple of days.